This is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make Podcast. This is Yolando. And as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. And once again, I will say um, it's a lie <laughs> because we've not <laughs> taken a walk. We are still on Zoom on church in worship on Sunday, which was on a video on Facebook Live. And somebody in the chat commented and said, This is the 50th Sunday. Wow. That we have met virtually. And I just mm. like sitting with the, I mean, that's just, just that, forget, forget what I was going to say. That's astonishing. Yeah. Um, and I trust that God is in it. And I trust that we'll be formed in life giving ways out of this time of separation. And I suppose there's something to be marveling at people still gathering and loving and caring and being a community, even after this level of separation, which thank goodness that I had no idea I would have lost heart had I known not only that would it be 50 weeks, but it would be longer than 50 mm. weeks. But um, anyway, all that to say is we're still virtual. We haven't taken a walk and, and I mean this not flippantly, the Lord only knows when we will. <laughs> <laughs> but the vaccine, the vaccine, we're, we're going to get vaccinated and we'll be walking in no time. Amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, what's astonishing you? Hey, listen, you are astonishing me. Your sermon <laughs> yesterday was straight fire. I mean, you preached like a woman filled with the Holy Spirit. I listened to your sermon. What was it? It was about, um, it was near the time uh, to get Matthew ready for bed. So it was probably around seven-ish. And holy cow, you did that thing. Well, thanks, right? Your, your sermon was really, really amazing. And for those who haven't listened to it yet, you need to go listen to it. Kate, um, wrestled with the message of the gospel. She wrestled with what is the gospel in this series on evangelism. And I'm really grateful. You said some very kind things about me and our conversation. But beyond that, the sermon was so good because you you do what very few um, mainline preachers do in that you critiqued the conservative evangelical um, diminished presentation of the gospel. But at the same time, you did not ignore giving a presentation of the gospel. You gave people, I mean, the sermon was a full meal. I remember listening to it and I said to myself, bread of heaven, feed me <laughs> till I want no more. I mean, it was a banquet of delight. You gave history, you gave theology, you gave biblical exposition, you zoomed out to give the grand biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation, you zoomed in to your text. It was fantastic. But ultimately, 
um, even though there were some places, well, you know, you and I disagree in, on some things, even though there were some places where oh, I don't know about that, Kate, you brought it back to um, the place where I think all scripture, Jesus loving Christians can find a home. And that is the proclamation of the kingdom that Jesus announced the good news of this kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And it's not pie in the sky, by and by when you die. It's not simply me and my soul get right with God. It's about what God is doing for this world that God created and so loved, right? Your sermon was really, really good. And um, I... Well, like a lot of preachers, you know, we we love to hear good preaching because we're we're not only preachers, we're connoisseurs of good preaching. I listened to that sermon, and before I went to bed, I said to myself, I need to hear that again. It was so good, so rich, so fantastic. And it's not just to, you know, blow up your ego. It really was good. It really was good. Well, I mean, that means a lot to me. I I do feel like, um, well, it was interesting in the week, during the week, I had a, um, a call with a friend of mine who lives in Washington, D.C., and she worships with us virtually. And it was really funny. She's been listening to this evangelism sermon, and she's like, I don't mean to tell you how to do your job, but like, Sometimes in, when I listen to you preach, I hear you say like, well, it's not this or it's not that. Or if you think that way, you're missing it. She's like, and I feel like it's really important that at some point we just say like, well, it is this or here's a new way because then people you know, don't have to hear what they're not. They can just say, oh, I want to believe in that too. And I was like, I mean, it was just really, I mean, it was very a, a moment of holy irony that I feel like that is always the challenge in I mean, in the preaching moment, but really in just being a disciple of Jesus is it is so much easier to perceive what God is not doing mm -hmm. and so much more difficult to perceive what God is doing and what we're for, much less figure out how to articulate that clearly and compellingly. So it was just funny when she was like, maybe just say like what you think it is. And I was like... <laughs> Okay, I'm working on it. Um, well, we were saying before that, um, you know, part of the the power and the longevity of the sort of Romans road presentation of the gospel is that for decades, preachers have given it a narrative structure, right? Um, God is angry. You're bad. You're in trouble. Better get right with God. There's a narrative structure. But when it comes to the proclamation of the kingdom, which that's the way Jesus began his ministry, repent, repent the kingdom of God is at hand. When it comes to the kingdom, we have not given that a narrative structure. And even when we quote a verse like John 3, 16, we skipped the, we skipped the so love the world mm -hmm. to the gave his only begotten son, but let's, let's pause. <laughs> let's soak in that God so loved the world. The gospel is about what God is doing in and for creation, this world. Well, and even the part that we do focus on the like 
whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. And I think like we have reduced believing to, to almost entirely an intellectual assent. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, that's what believing means. You will say out loud, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And I believe that, that you know, he will forgive me. For, I confess my sins and my unworthiness. And I accept his, ask him for forgiveness and righteousness. And, and for so long, the loudest voices in the church have said, that's what believing means. That's it. If you do that, and if you think that, and if you feel in your heart that it's true, then you have met the requirement, you believe in Jesus, and now, you know, boogie on, like you'll be fine. And, and Well, in the first century, when the Apostle Paul was traveling from city to city, synagogue to synagogue, they had a narrative structure from the Old Testament about what God was doing to redeem the world. And so the apostle could say, and you know this Messiah that the prophets have been talking about? You know Genesis 3 when God said the seed of woman will crush the serpent's head? Well, Jesus, the crucified Jesus is the one, right? They had that narrative structure. We don't. And so simply to go to believe, then that, that is about, intellect but just just well, believe and even beyond that when we, when we talk about believing that Jesus is the messiah and i think people people do have gotten that Jesus is the savior and god has done something definitive that has changed you know the course of at least individual humans destiny you know i don't think a lot of people have really believed that what god has done definitively in jesus has changed the destiny of creation, right? Like, I don't think people yes. make that connection at all. But even that, if you're going to say believe, and then you go like, okay, but shouldn't part of believing be that when Jesus is walking around and teaching and saying, not like that, like this, then part of believing in Jesus is not just saying, I identify him as the Messiah. It's believing that when he says, return evil for evil, you know, turn the other cheek, you know, let no one um, you know, let whatever, and I'm mixing up Paul with, with Jesus, but you know, there's some of these alternative ways of walking through the world. Part of believing in Jesus is saying, I can't save the world, but I can, to the best of my human ability, adopt this posture of, you know, so that what seems rational, which is be on the side of the people who have the power to kill you. But if I believe in Jesus, then all of a sudden I'm on the side of the person who was crucified. And I'm now all of a sudden believing in Jesus saying, means saying righteousness doesn't stand with the person who makes the law and can punish, but righteousness often is expressed in the lives of those who are being crushed by the empire, right? Like, I just think it's funny that we've said, Believing in Jesus only means putting Jesus in this theological category, whatever it means to you. But you can ignore everything that he said about, you know, being, you know, ministering to him when he was naked or hungry or in prison. Don't worry about that. Sermon on the Mount doesn't make sense. Not applicable. That's for super saints, not for you. You don't believe in that. You don't need to worry about what that means. And all of these ways about how you interact with conflict and how you forgive and how you, you know, you don't need to believe in any of that. Just mm-hmm. Just proclaim Jesus as your savior and then you believe and you're done. And it's just such a, I mean, you use the perfect word. It's such a reduction mm-hmm. of the gospel, which I mean, like every lie, part of its power is 
it's not completely untrue. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Just um, it's. I mean, honestly, it's an idol. I mean, it's an, an it's an idolatrous reduction of who of who God is in Jesus. And I don't know, but I I am. Um, what I realized after just really wrestling with that this week is, you know, I, I really like Eugene Peterson. Um, he's not, he's not my NT right or anything. <laughs> I was going to say he's no NT right, but okay. <laughs> well, I'm just saying like, I don't feel about Eugene Peterson the way you feel about NT right, but I like Eugene Peterson. Um, and one of the things that he tells a story about his son going off into the world and listening to a preacher and sort of coming back with a critique of like, the son comes back to Eugene Peterson and says, you know, dad, you know how you basically preach the same sermon every time. And Peterson was like, low key offended by that. Like, what are you talking about? I don't preach the same sermon every time. And he's like, no, you do. I mean, you use different texts and different words and different, you know, but you have, you say the same thing every time. And then his critique of the other guy is like, he doesn't know what his thing is. Right. And I realized like, for me, this shift of preaching kingdom. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. like, and I think you're right. It probably has something to do with the particular era that we are living in. Like, I think that might just need to be my sermon, at least for this season, right? It's just to be able to say, mm -hmm. how can we continually expand all of these truths that we're we're um, revealing from scripture, but continue to reframe them in the context of kingdom, 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 not individual salvation, individual salvation, individual salvation, because it's not that we are not individually yes. saved in the context of the kingdom, but it is just so important to expand yes. how we see the because world. Because if it's just about individual salvation, that means for a lot of people that anything else goes. Correct. Because, right, un until you get to the great by and by. And one of the things... Um, that I just, I admire, I'm humbled and inspired by uh, my slave ancestors is that even without PhDs in theology, mm -hmm. they understood that. Mm -hmm. So even when they were singing about individual salvation, it was about more. When, mm -hmm. you know, the spiritual says, ride on King Jesus, no man can hinder thee. It's, it's, it's to say, look, what Jesus is doing, yeah. <laughs> what Jesus is going to do in this, nobody can stop this. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that gives um, not only a peace, but a confidence. Um, it just puts you in the world in a way that you can trust God to bring about life and good and hope and not passively wait for that. You can participate in that knowing that all the seeds that you plant will bear fruit because no one's gonna hinder this kingdom from coming in its right. fullness, not, not even a cross. Yeah, and like even though the world, you know, the, the empire current world visible systems might say to you, you have no worth and more importantly, you have no power. If you're saying like, no, I understand the kingdom, I see it, it's beautiful, I long for it, and I understand that I have power here, and I have freedom here, and I have agency in this kingdom, and 
you know, that's not going to be recognized by the powers and principalities that are passing away. And so we need to stop, you know, expecting it to, or demanding, you know, just demanding a seat at tables that the Lord is turning over. Right. And being able to say like, no, what we, what we have is the freedom and power to be disciples of Jesus Christ every day of our lives and any circumstance that could possibly be thrown up against us, even if it is as extreme as how we will die, you know, like we have power that cannot be taken away from us. Now we can continue to grasp for power that's not of God and we may never have that, but, but when we understand what the kingdom is and what God is doing, then we have, we have freedom and joy to participate in it, not carry it on our backs, like a burden that we can't bear. Like I, with love and and humility want to say like that's what bothers me about the mission statement of the presbytery because it talks about building the kingdom of god mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the seven counties and beyond and i want to say like no we're not we're not we're building not, it we're, we are not building it that's not our role but are we are we in it <laughs> yes are we mm -hmm. you know opening ourselves so that the lord you know can can build it in and through what like it's just more of that active passivity um that you know it would be interesting to do a study of the verbs in the new testament mm -hmm. in relation to people and the kingdom because the only one i can think of is probably proclaim i, I don't know if right. there you are you announce others. it i mean announce, that's what happens yes. now to announce mm -hmm. it right and but never to never to build it yeah and you know when I mean, we get to repent mm -hmm. <laughs> and we get to announce but, you know, I, I mean, again, like that's this idea of there is a power that we can trust, which is surely not us. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, I, I, I do feel like it's really helpful to start imagining all the different ways that we can continue to intentionally come back to this language and casting vision and like really thinking in our I mean, at least at the Grove, of creating a culture where people are used to hearing about like, oh, kingdom. We talk about kingdom a lot here. And really, you know, not defining that as against individual salvation, but to say, I understand my individual salvation within the context of the kingdom, which means mm -hmm. even if I am white, the work for dismantling white supremacy, that's God's work. And I want to be a part of it. Even if I don't yes. personally feel like I'm at risk, I understand that that won't happen. That's not a part of the kingdom. So I have to be a part of God's work in dismantling that. So I remember, gosh, this was probably nine months ago. You and I had a conversation about um, you were in a meeting or you read an article and someone said uh, something to the effect of um, that the mission of the Presbyterian Church was to advance progressive values. And you were like, no, right? And so the mission <laughs> is to advance kingdom values. And we have got to get that. And I'm thinking, I wish I could remember his name, but there is a pastor, a scholar from Australia, and he has written a book on understanding the grand narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation in terms of the kingdom. And that, and as a matter of fact, I think it's like three volumes, but it's all about the biblical narrative and the story of the kingdom of God. And it is really good and really helpful. But again, your sermon yesterday, wow, that, listen, okay. 
if I were not a pastor <laughs> and I heard that sermon, I'd be like, I'm, I'm joining her church. That <laughs> ironic about that is the whole context of my sermon was like, I don't like to talk about Yolando very much at my I, church. People are going to be like, why am I not at his church? <laughs> so, that was um, funny. Oh gosh. Well, so what is astonishing you? Um, well, <laughs> so this is just such a strange season and I don't thought you were going to say my sermon astonished me because I, 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 no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You don't have ego um, like that. No, I do have an ego like that. I just try to lie about it. Um, I, um, last, this is a weird season. Obviously it's a weird season for everyone in the world at the same time, which is unfortunate. Um, but I find myself just craving things that I normally don't crave Hmm. and, and not, not finding meaning and, um, in places that I normally do. So it's just a, a weird thing. And I mean, it is a, it's a pandemic thing. And I know also, it also must be a grief thing, but it, it's just so weird because just because everything's weird. So I am astonished um, that last week I ended up going on a 22 hour silent, mostly silent prayer retreat, which I just, I mean, it's just funny to anyone who knows me like that's just not, um, it is, it is not normally the way that I not wired that way. Um, I don't like being alone inside my head and I don't, um, I, I just, but I also know that I really, um, I really believe in the value of practicing healthy spiritual discomfort. And so just because something is uncomfortable for me or frustrating for me, that doesn't mean that it, I know that it is good for me. And I don't want, you know, I don't want God's ability to work at my, in my life to be limited by my comfort level or even mm. the level of my own understanding. So, mm. um, I went, I went on this retreat and I was really dreading it. And, and I guess I, I mean, I am astonished that I did it because it, because it wasn't really something I wanted to do. So I just, you know, just want to pay attention to sort of the way the Holy Spirit drags me across the finish line sometimes. Um, and also just be really frank about the fact that, um, you know, I, 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 I did not have, like, I didn't come home with like the story of like, oh, I was praying and I had this supernatural experience of hearing the Lord's voice telling me this, or I, I had this deep sense of knowing that of that. And, and I, you know, I have in my life, um, admittedly rarely had experiences of just, you know, sort of knowing something and knowing that it came from out outside of me. And, you know, I have had admittedly rarely experiences of, of hearing internally the Lord's voice. And, you know, that, that was not, um, that's not what happened. <laughs> and I also just um, really trust that, you know, no matter there's, there's what God is doing in your life. And then there's what you're aware of God doing in your life. Mm, and that's good. That's a good yeah, distinction. And they're just not the same. And mm -hmm. so I'm not really very much at all aware of how God used that time. Um, and I experienced it as both not as bad as I thought it would be and extremely frustrating. <laughs> and I am, um, I, I just know it was what I needed to do. And I know that I probably 
need to um, lean into looking, you know, for more of those spaces um, just to um, be intentional about separating who I am as a follower of Jesus and Christ from the work that I love and find so deeply meaningful as a pastor. And so often there's such an overlap, like I'm working on a sermon and, and I, you know, like I just experienced both the holiness of the text and I experience how God is using it to reveal um, Jesus to me and to minister to me personally. I mean, there's just a huge overlap and also, you know, places where, where it's not. And um, so I don't know. I, I, that's, that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Well, when you told me that you were, or had gone on a silent retreat, listen, as your friend, I was impressed. I'm like, that's like me telling you, Hey, I signed up to speak for three days at a conference. You'd be like, what? (laughs) That's out of the norm. That's actually a, that's a perfect analogy because if you said that to me, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. I would love to do that. And I'm sure that when I told you I left on a like, road, I would like, love oh to do gosh. that. Yes. Yes. So this is why we are friends. Yes. But yes, I was totally impressed because I know that's out of your comfort zone. And so I think um, it's pretty fantastic that you did that. And I'm not surprised that you didn't have any kind of supernatural whatever experience. I know that God does that, but just in my own uh, practice that those things, um, they happen without warning, right? You can never, you can't um, um, create some formula so that they happen on command. Uh, They just come by God's great grace. And so uh, that's why our ancestors in the faith talked about holy habits. Yeah. uh, Well, yeah. 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 And I, I think that's a huge reset. I mean, place for me is that I just, and it's funny because I just wrote it in these Lenten devotions that we're sending out to our people is, you know, wrote about like, Hey, you know, ask the Lord where, you know, what you need to do to participate in your own spiritual growth and, mm-hmm. and don't expect it to be, please crawl across the Sahara desert on your knees. Like expect it to be something embarrassingly simple, like, Begin each day reading the gospel and, you know, spend 10 minutes in silent listening prayer or, you know, make it your firm intention to be in worship every week, whatever. Like it's going to be simple because you don't need, there's no secret formula. Like what we need to do has been revealed to us. And we just need to decide, you know, just keep returning to the fact that like, we're like everybody. I mean, we're all unique and special, but we're also like everyone else. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. What works and has worked for our ancestors will work for us. And, um, you know, we don't need to look for like a special, you know, a special elevated path because mm-hmm. there isn't one. So, which I think is all about cultivating humility. Yes. And being comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Right. If Jesus was baptized and then the spirit led him into the wilderness, we ought to be ready to be led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Well, and and definitely, I think the the story of Jesus's baptism is such a helpful touchstone for us to just sort of realize like, 
I think there are sometimes that pride really is a sin that leads us astray. And we start feeling like, oh, I have freedom in the Lord and I don't need to do this or that. And I'm, and I don't belong to a religion and I'm not, I don't participate in dead rituals. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're just sort of drifting and being formed by whatever is happening to us instead of our intentional places where we reorient ourselves towards God. And, and if Jesus, the Christ participated in the sacrament of baptism and did not consider himself above it or beyond it or unnecessary, then, then we don't need to have like a spirit of slavery or fear or earning, but we can continually understand that we can humble ourselves and come back to doing, to doing the practices and the holy, holy habits are just a great way. Yeah. Cause I even consider doing this podcast with you a holy habit, right? Because in my natural wiring, I keep to myself, I don't share much, um, Someone, I remember when I was in CPE, there was a, uh, this guy was studying for the Roman Catholic priesthood, uh, but he was also an architect and he drew houses depicting the personalities of each person in the group. And so when he drew a house that was my personality, um, it was not facing the street. Uh, you saw the side of the house and there was a huge fence in the backyard that covered up something that was happening. And everyone's like, what, what, what is this? And he said, Yolando, he's, he's got stuff going on in the backyard, but he doesn't really let people see what's going on with him. That's so and funny. Totally accurate. And yeah. so this podcast where, you know, we get on and we talk, we share, what's astonishing you? What are you thinking about? Uh, there's the, the introvert in me at times goes, oh, we got to do this again. But it is good for my soul to do this. Yeah. Well, that's funny that you, that just reminds me when I was my undergraduate, um, I was a music major, a bad one, um, but I was in the school of music with really fantastic musicians. And one of them is a musician and a composer and his name is Joe Brent. And he, I was in another um, course with him and he wrote music for everyone who was in our seminar. And so he, at one point came and he was like, I wrote this piece of music and it's about you. And it's so fast. I can't play it. <laughs> it's like, okay. Accurate. That's, <laughs> that's the funniest thing I've heard. In a good while. That's good. Wow. Yeah. Um, what are you thinking about? Well, I'm thinking about a lot of things. Um, and we can get to them in future podcasts. I'm thinking about um violence against Asian Americans. I'm thinking about um the <laughs> the reality that we've come to this place in the pandemic where my wife is actually asking me to consider giving her a haircut, which is amazing. <laughs> I just, just let that don't fall for it. I mean, would you let Colin cut your hair? I don't know. Um, um, no, but yeah, she said, well, you know, you've, you've cut Matthew's hair. And so maybe you could cut my hair. I'm like, really? Seriously? Okay. This is not the first time. And it will not be the last time that I have acknowledged that Han is a better woman than I, <laughs> I I, um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty it amazing. Well, yeah. what I'm thinking about today is the, uh, death of Rush Limbaugh and, um, you and I talked a little bit about it. We mentioned it, um, last week, um, after the podcast. And, um, I remember in my twenties listening, uh, to his radio show, um, when I was in college seminary, cause I often had these long trips, you know, seven hours from, 
Louisville to Memphis uh, to get home. And um, so I would tune in into his radio show and um, I was struck by how openly sexist and racist he could be and have such a following and how his humor kept people listening. Because mm-hmm. I, I remember being offended and think you can't, really, you're really saying that? And then he'll turn around and see something funny and I would keep listening. Um, but ultimately, when I think about um, his work, I think he opened the door for many white Americans to be unashamedly racist and sexist. Um, Because post-civil rights movement, there, there seemed to be a mood in the country that, you know, racism was a moral issue. Mm-hmm. And even if you were a bit racist, sexist, you just didn't say it openly. You just, you know, there, there were some limits as to what you would say. And I think he opened the door to what we currently have uh, on social media. Um, I think also he opened the door to many white people in America seeing themselves as victims. Mm -hmm. And I think those two things together um, help bring us, I am not saying, I am not saying for a third time, I am not saying that he is totally responsible, but I think he's contributed to the current culture. Uh, And I I will give him as, um, as a talk show host, incredible storytelling ability, a great ability to take complex issues, boil them down, make them simple so that people could put them in the back pocket, walk away and talk about it at the dinner table or at a dinner party or wherever. Um, And I remember being a listener thinking, this guy has an incredible way of of connecting with people over radio. My perspective is that it just wasn't used for good. Yeah. I mean, I um I guess I I think a lot of things. I did not listen to Rush Limbaugh, but but people in my family did. And I do think that, you know, part of the appeals, obviously he was very good at what he did and he, he made, um, I mean, he sold ultimately a really simple story, which is nothing is wrong. And anybody who is hurting is getting what they deserve Mm -hmm. and nobody needs to care about anyone else's pain or suffering. And that meant, I mean, that's a, if it, 
I mean, I guess I don't, I don't even want it to be true, but I understand why people want that to be true. And I understand why that means that you can just, um, enjoy your, you know, enjoy your life and not, not care about anyone else's pain or suffering. You don't have to fight injustice because there is none except, you know, injustice that comes from, uh, trying to hold powerful people accountable for what they do with their power. Right. So I, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, part of the challenge and it's related to what we were talking about earlier is that, you know, what is simple is, I mean, often the most powerful lies are just, they're simple. And the truth is not, is not. Um, and certainly the vision of what God is doing, um, you know, my apologies to Habakkuk, but like, it, it's not always plain to see it's not. And so, you know, he, he wrote a truth and he wrote it large and he made it plain to see, and he gave people a narrative that to tell about themselves and their world that made them feel very comfortable. Um, and he, he took what is the most effective and quickest way to build a community. And that is you build a community around what you're against and who doesn't belong. And that you, you can just, that is a very effective strategy. Um, but I do not believe that the end justifies the means. And I do not believe um, that people can say whatever they want to say. And those words don't matter and don't have power and aren't destructive. And, and frankly, I know for sure that scripture does not, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, that is contrary, clear, contrary to the message of scripture. You know, you call Jesus the word, you talk about God using words to create all of reality. You call mm. Jesus the word and, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, and James talk about the power of the tongue That's to right. destroy. And so, I mean, I think that he was, um, incredibly, um, in, incredibly, captive to the spiritual powers of wickedness and darkness in high places. And I think that he was um, used by them. Um, and I also really um, want to hold myself accountable for walking in my values of what I do believe in. And so he is not my enemy. Um, and I think part of the posture of um, a person watching is we would never celebrate his death, um, especially not his death from a disease. And we would never make peace with what he did mm. uh, and, and what he spoke into the world. Like I can't you know, contextualize it in such a way that I can celebrate it. I can't celebrate um, what he stood for. And he made it very clear what he stood for. Um, but I can mourn, I mean, to your point, I can mourn what an amazing way he could have been used by the Holy Spirit for the sake of the kingdom of God. Like, like that gifting that was in him, had it been yoked to Christ, um, could have been incredibly powerful, um, in helping people to, understand and catch a glimpse of and long for the coming of the kingdom of God. And so I can really mourn that. And I think, um, 
you know, the, the question is, and um, I have a friend, Ron McClelland, who is a um, spiritual director and an actor and just a really great guy. And if you're, um, he's worth following on social media, he has a, um, a ministry of spiritual direction as well and connection, spiritual direction and the arts. But he wrote this really beautiful piece about like the difference between a, um, like an, an elegy and a um, eulogy and like mm-hmm. what I think a lot of times as, as Christians, we have a real sense that we, it's not our job to speak ill of anyone, much less someone who has died. And it's never, never right for us to celebrate um, loss of life or even to gleefully anticipate someone suffering, even what we might believe is, <laughs> you know, God's justice. Um, that's not our word. But so I think sometimes we feel like, oh, well, we need to say something good about this person because they've died. And I mean, I do not think that we are ever supposed to name, you know, call evil good, even if it comes out of a sense of wanting to honor life and love life. I think we, you know, I think we need to say something, um, but it doesn't need to denigrate him, but it does need to say like, in my opinion, he spent his life on the wrong side. Um, And he was very powerful and very effective, but ultimately I think for the wrong end. And I think all day long, if we have to choose between being wealthy and being powerful and being influencers, but, but in ways that defy the way of Christ, then, I mean, obviously the gospel is you choose weakness, you choose poverty, you choose ridicule, ridicule, you choose the narrow way that the world despises because that is the way of the kingdom. And he, he did not choose that. Um, he was celebrated by the world. Um, and that, you know, it, I'm sad. I'm, I'm sad at what I see as his continued influence on the lives and the thinking of people I, I love. And it makes me even more determined to use every platform that we have to, to preach, not against him, but to preach the other kingdom. Um, Yes, I was about to go back to values of the kingdom and you beat me to it. Yes, yes, yes. It is what I walk away from his story thinking about the power of speech, the power of words, that your words really do matter. And for someone who is an introvert who would rather hold things in, it is a, it is a call to speak more because it matters. But I think you're exactly right to say a simple story that we don't dare tell is, oh, this guy was somehow extra special, powerful, extra special, evil, extra special, anything. And, and now something has shifted because he has gone. Like he, he is responsible for his own speech, but he is not responsible for the way that others celebrated it and elevated it. And, you know, so, so, and I, I feel about him much in the same way that I feel about um, President Trump, that, you know, he, he is, he is not responding. He did not create the response that mm-hmm. he generated. And so um, it is not as simple to demonize either of those individual men. It's important to say, you know, these are the actions and the words that are anti-Christ, but Jesus is 
for both of these humans created in the image of God. And we need to be for them as well. Um, but that involves telling some truths that I'm sure <laughs> obviously neither of them would appreciate. But um, loving someone does not mean saying that everything they do is okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yes. Oh. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, that was what I was going to talk about too, because you reminded me that I said we needed to talk about it at the end of the last podcast. And I, I was last week just really celebrated with seeing Christians struggle on both sides of the culture war, which has definitely invaded the church, struggle how to acknowledge this man's death. And either, you know, it seems to be people saying essentially like ding dong, the witch is dead, not appropriate, or here is this great man. And, you know, also so um, going back to our conversation about the kingdom, for me, he is, you remember, um, what is that politician's name from um, 60s? Um, Bull Connor um, uh, said, gave the segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever speech. Yeah. Birmingham, uh, Alabama, I think director of public safety or something like that was his title. Uh, in some way, Limbaugh is that guy, but with a sense of humor, much more likable. Yeah. And for me as an African-American, I can not be alarmed at either one because I know the kingdom is bigger. I don't celebrate their deaths because the kingdom, the kingdom will catch in its net people that I personally think aren't worthy. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure my showing up there, someone's going to say, Boy, Hinton is in the kingdom yeah. too. Um, yeah. And so I can walk in as best as I can kingdom values and to seek to live them out, to stand for them, knowing that nations rise and fall, people rise and fall. And that, that's, that's a doing that's bigger than me. I don't have, I'm neither afraid of those kind of people, nor do I feel a need to celebrate their deaths because something else is bigger. Something, something bigger is happening um, beyond their, their births and deaths uh, in the world. Well, and I mean, personally, as a raging extrovert who would love to have a daily radio show where people listen to me say what I thought for three hours a day and told me it was wonderful. Like I can just really appreciate the seduction of getting this platform and then mm. so clearly understanding what you need to do to get more and more affirmation and more and more feedback. And I, I mean, I have not done a study nor do I want to of sort of how his rhetoric might have shifted over time, but I imagine like everything else in the world, you know, what was scandalous 25 years ago is not anymore. So it just has to keep getting elevated, elevated, elevated. And I think, you know, the, the thing that's hard is, you know, Jesus <laughs> was earnest and we are, are called to be an earnest people and, and earnesty is not celebrated in our culture. And, and so to, to be able to say, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of saying 
you know, using flippant speech to make a point, which I think Jesus did also. But, you know, we live in a culture where it's just sort of like, oh, I can say whatever I want. And if you if that offends, if that offends you, you're too sensitive. And and to really say, like, I mean, though that is the value of our culture, but that is absolutely not the value of the kingdom. And, you know, you think of, of Paul's teaching in um, Romans about, you know, those who are strong need to bear with those who are weak. And if you know that it's okay in Corinthians, like if you know, it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols, because you understand that the idols don't exist and everything belongs to God. But if someone's sitting next to you at the table, all of a sudden thinks that you're participating in idol worship, you need to not use your freedom to confuse that person. You need to forego what you have the right to do for the sake of um, of safeguarding the spiritual growth of your neighbor, of your brother, sister. Like that's the ethic of, of our kingdom, which is that the, the needs of those who are weakest are centered um, over the pleasures or freedoms of those who are strongest. And, you know, that kingdom is, that's literally ridiculous in the world that we live in right now. And, and so, you know, Rush Limbaugh and people like him mocked it. And it's it's hard to endure being mocked. And yet Jesus clearly did it, right? I mean, Jesus allowed himself to be mocked mm. by the powerful people and culture and even mocked by the people that he came to serve. And he did not allow that to deter him from speaking truth in a world that was not did not recognize him. If you are rejecting political correctness, then it's, I think it's hard to walk in love because if I love you, if I care about you, I'm going to be concerned about how my speech affects you. Right. I mean, I want to reject the whole term of political correctness mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. political correctness is is a term that people have come up with to say that caring about the suffering of other people is a sucker's game. Exactly. So yes. I'm not being political correct, politically correct, which means I'm going to say whatever I want to say, and I really don't care mm-hmm. how it hurts you. You can call that politically political correctness, and you can celebrate it, that if you want to, but that is anti anti-gospel. Those are anti-gospel values. When we were specifically told to guard our tongues and to watch our speech, and we're specifically told that our words either build up or tear down and that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, you know, if you, if you are proudly boasting about not being politically correct, then, you know, you are a allowing the empire culture to define the terms. But basically what you're saying is I, I am, I am indifferent to whether or not my words cause people pain. In fact, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. have the power mm-hmm. to hurt someone. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, you can think that, but it is not the gospel. So anyway, and, you know, Jesus often said things that offended people, but never for the purpose of offending people. And when Jesus's words caused offense, it was... It, it was always people who were more powerful. Not, I mean, Jesus never punched down. And so much of political correctness is about punching down. And That's good. is offending someone who is more powerful. Then we don't call it political correctness. Then we call it cancel culture. So like <laughs> cancel culture means you can't ever say something that makes a powerful person feel bad or else you're canceling them. But if you say something that makes a powerless person suffer more, that is just not being politically correct. And it's just a, mm. whatever. 
Done. I'm done talking about what I'm against. <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm starting to feel this three-hour radio show thing. <laughs> like, I would get so much trouble. Being in conversation with you is such a safeguard for me. <laughs> Good. Just anyway. Well, so what, are you, what are you preaching? I am preaching. You know, the Sunday after <laughs> oh, man. a great sermon can feel pressure. I mean, you should not feel pressure. No, I hear but I, but I, But I've been there. It's like, oh, last Sunday was whatever. And, I will say, but, like, I am so grateful for your words. That, A, nothing feels like a great sermon in pandemic, right? Like nothing <laughs> feels right just because yeah. you're not preaching and you don't have that experience of being being in community and like the the thing that gives so much joy is being able to be a part of the atmosphere in the room and we're not so that it's just it is not the same kind of experience but even so i think there are times when you're preaching a sermon and it just it 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 feels good to people to hear it it feels like deep and then there's other times when you're preaching something that's important but is is a mind shift and just doesn't have the same doesn't, it just doesn't, it's not a like, yay, Jesus sermon. And so I think that for me, like it didn't, I appreciate your words. It didn't feel like a great sermon. It felt like one of those, I'm way out over my skis and I'm not sure I can land this. So I really appreciate your words because um, I think we have to be willing to do that, right? Like we have to be willing to swing and miss Mm -hmm. as preachers or else we're never going to be able to really be instruments of the holy kind of beyond where we, because, because unlike someone like Rush Limbaugh, we are not preaching to the people who are already in the room. And we are not preaching to affirm to people what they already know. We are trying to be an instrument of the holy to grow people past where they are into who God calls them to be. So anyway, I I don't know, but to your point. Well, and every Sunday when we read the scripture, we say something like, this is the word of the Lord. It's not the word from me, (laughs) about me. It is the word So whatever comes out next, you got the word of the Lord. (laughs) So I do, I read a quote once by Martin Luther, who was talking about like, as believers, like if we had this experience where somehow supernaturally we learned that like, oh, be in this place at this time, and you will be able to hear from Jesus. And like, all of us would be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, I'll pay what I need to pay to go there. I'll stop. Like, I'll do, like, I want to be where I can hear the word of Jesus. And then Martin Luther's like, and you have a Bible, right? Wow. That's I know, good. you know, right. Like, I mean, it's so good. good to be able to say like, do we need help? Yes. Do we, do we need it to be unpacked for us? Yes. But also we really believe that scripture is the word of God and we don't have to swim across an ocean or climb up a mountain. Like it is right there. And we could access it whenever we wanted. Thank you to the printing press. And and we often don't because we we feel like we need something on top of that. Mm. Anyway, to answer your question, I am preaching a new sermon series on, it's called Grudge, and it is about forgiveness. And I haven't planned it out yet. (laughs) So um, the first one will be sort of why, like, why are we in the forgiveness business? Um, I think, and my... My um, core truth um, will probably come from that passage in Corinthians about like we no longer regard anyone from a human point of view. Um, And this idea that if we understand Jesus's messiahship all as about transformation of individuals, which 
I do, um, not just that, but I do, then, then we who have, who understand ourselves to have been transformed, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. And so what does it mean? Like, what does that mean? And I think partly in the coming weeks, I want to unpack literally, like, how do we do this? Um, but in the first weeks, I think we need to get really serious about like, this is the business of God. And so if we are like Anne Lamont says that she used to joke that she was the kind she wasn't the kind of Christian who believed in forgiveness. And then she was like, that joke got too painful to make because I realized, and I think there are a lot of us who, whether it's because of a passion for justice or because of trauma that we have suffered, like we really think like, okay, that Jesus is about forgiveness, but I don't have to be. And so I think to really sort of look at that and, and it's not about like, even will you or can you? But can we just see that 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 there's there's a huge disconnect um, to feeling like this is not our job? And I should acknowledge I have a great friend named Catherine Tedi who is a, um, a Lutheran pastor out in Minnesota, and she um, has um, created this amazing retreat um, about forgiveness where she walks people through the why and the what and the how. And she sent me a lot of her materials. And so everything that I've said already has, has really come from how she was begins to unpack it. And I plan to be very deeply influenced by her all the way through. So none of those were thoughts. Well, um, that's certainly one thing I think that's needed in our day is learning to forgive. There's so much um, tension and division and anger and hatred. Um, I, I just think it's going to be timely once again. Gospel's always on time, but I do what? think if we Jesus people had a real ethic of forgiveness, we would not be so easily lured into the culture war. Which, mm. and I sometimes mm. when we think like, oh, I believe in forgiveness, and the way I believe in forgiveness is by saying like nothing really matters, like everything right. is equal and everything is the same, or there's and, not there, there's not a problem. Right. There's not really anything to forgive, and yeah. I think that's not that is not it. Like it, we have to be a people who clearly are growing in our understanding of what the kingdom is and what kingdom culture is and what kingdom values are and that what the righteousness of God looks like. And also people who can forgive those who are, are, are not, not part of the kingdom. So um, yes. I'm doing some uh, premarital counseling for a couple out in uh, California. Uh, the groom is a member of our congregation and uh, he's in the military and, um, and one of the things I said to them uh, in our first meeting was that, you know, sometimes couples come to me seeking the secret sauce of marriage. And I just want to tell you, there's really no hocus pocus, but it's really about taking those uh, relationship principles in the Bible, all those one another's and living those out in the marriage. And one of those is forgiveness. And if you're not walking in forgiveness, you're, it's going to be a rough road. Yeah. Right. Because it's easy to really love and celebrate people. We don't know that well. Mm -hmm. I mean, and even like in our friendship, like, I don't know, I just don't know you that well. Like it would not, I don't have, and I, but I think like with our spouses, we just know the not cute parts of them. Yes. And it's yes. easy to say like, well, because I know the not cute parts of you and I don't have the level of intimacy that would let me know 
the not cute parts of other people, like, oh, I just picked a bad one and let me go find someone else. And then what you find is with notable exceptions, but like a lot of times people end up leaving their marriages because they've discovered that their partner is actually really fully human. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, and then what do you know? (laughs) And one of the, um, challenges I think of early adulthood is to come to terms with your parents' flaws and to be able to forgive their humanness. It's like, I, I remember when I when I was just starting to have an adult-adult relationship with my parents, I was like, oh, these are just, they're real people. Yeah. <laughs> they got great things about them and they got their shadow side. They're just people. Yeah. Um, and, and, but that, that's work. That's work. Right. right. Well, and I think we were talking earlier, I think before we started recording about just like that, the Christian community is not a hierarchy. That's just not the model of community that it's, it's mutuality and love and bearing with one another in love, which means, you know, if it's a hierarchy, you can just preserve distance and you can end up sort of pseudo worshiping people because you don't, you don't interact with them enough to know their shadow sides mm-hmm. or just by virtue of where they are on the hierarchy, you go like, well, whatever this is, it's not a shadow because, you know, it has to be. And so I think the reality of saying, like, as Christians, we ought to be able to understand that there's there's nobody but us fellow losers. And there are ways to, to let God's love be be made perfect in our weakness and to allow, I don't know. I, I Well, I think one of the wisest things, one of the best things from the outside looking in at the Grove is that you guys have a model of friendship. That what does it mean to be a part of the Grove community? It means to be a friend, not so much to be a member, like membership has its privileges. No, it means you're going to be a friend. You're going to have friends, which means you're going to bump up against the rough side of people. Mm-hmm. It means you're going to get to know people. There's just going to be a level of connection there, a level of relationship. But the great thing about friendships is that you can you can begin to see shadow sides and still walk with people. I just think that's a, because if if you say this is about membership, then I think you can easily slip into who belongs and who doesn't, who's yeah. in and who's out, who's like us, who's not like us. Yeah, no, I and I think like with our friends, we can say clearly, someone does not have to be perfect to be worthy of my friendship. And, yes. I, and I have one yes. perfect friend and that's God. And so yes. other people, I can just sort of look and say, you know, and it's not that you would never address it, but you can address it from a context of like, you know, I wasn't expecting this person to be perfect and wasn't expecting this person not to be in a growing process, just mm-hmm. like me. Mm-hmm. And I can, and I can take a posture of humility and mercy towards another that I really know that I need to have displayed towards, towards me. So, which I think makes the church a great context 
to deal with racism, to deal with being intercultural. If we start with the foundation that we are all friends in Jesus. And I love what you just said. We got one perfect friend. So that means the rest of us are not going to be perfect. And I I was meeting with um, a group this morning uh, planning some uh, anti-racism, a study that we're going to do as a church. And we were just kind of listing some of the pitfalls uh, potential pitfalls in our community. And one is that people will want to avoid this issue because they are afraid of being branded a bad person. And we had to come back to, listen, the Christian church has this resource called confession of sin <laughs> and the forgiveness of sin. And we need to make sure that that is you know, front and center because at some point, this study is gonna make all of us feel bad. Well, and I think that's okay. Yeah. And even like there, there's, there's not much good to John Calvin's tulips, but to sort of say like, Hey, we already come in here knowing that no one is righteous. So some of us have illusions of righteousness and some of us, you know, live in unrighteous ways that our culture approves of, or doesn't demonize. But like, if, if you're, what you're uncovering in this process is the fact that you are not a righteous person, like that's not new news right? Nor does that mean that your belonging is at stake. Like the Christian community celebrates people who discover their sinfulness in light of God's grace and repent and confess their weakness and ask for forgiveness and the grace to become new. Like that is the Christian story. And so I just feel like so many white Christians, we have sort of, we, we totally get it theoretically, but we don't get that. Like, no, it's actually true about me. I'm not the exception. I am not the exception. I am not the exception. I am an actual person who has been malformed by sin. And it really isn't a theoretical sin. It's an actual sin that limits and wounds me and I need to be healed and transformed. And that is not going to be a one and done thing, but I don't need to hide in the garden from the truth because I, ha- I understand oh, the larger so If there's a part of your brain that I could take out and implant into white Christians, it would be your clear understanding that you have benefited from racism. And yeah. yet the call of God is to be anti-racist as you walk this journey. When you find places where you need to repent, you repent and you keep walking. You don't have to hide, try to hide in the garden. That's a, that's a great um, analogy, well, a great reference. I know this is going really long, but I, one of the things that I love and that I would love for us to begin to see is, um, there, well, never mind. next week. No, no, keep going, keep going. <laughs> well, I just, there's that new book that's on out right now called The Sum of Us, and I can't remember the author's name, but she's just talking about how in the in the time when we were ending Jim Crow in the South, a lot of communities chose to like pave over their swimming pools rather than integrate them. And like a yes. member in our church was part of a community, that community in Virginia that closed their public schools for five years rather than integrate them. They said, we would rather no one have public education than to use public funds to educate black people. And I think one of her points is that like so many white people um, think like, okay, well, I have to be a better, more vir- virtuous person and I have to sacrifice in order to dismantle the system and I have to give up what's good for me so that somebody else can have some of what they deserve. And I think like to to 
to shift that mindset for us to go like, hey, is it about reparations and is it about justice and is it about healing for those who have been most oppressed? Yes, that is absolutely at the center and it must be, and that's a biblical ethic. And also, like I was doing a little thought experiment before that, like, I know that my family's life trajectory has changed. One of the ways that I've benefited from racism is that my, both of my grandparents, grandfathers served in World War II, came home, got GI um, bills to go to college and loans to buy houses, which meant that I grew up in a family where it was just a, it was a presumption that I would go to college. My parents went to college. You know, and I didn't grow up thinking like, oh my gosh, I have this great wealth. I have this whatever. I just, you know, that change, that government handout changed the trajectory of the families that came together to birth me. And Mm -hmm. I benefited from it. And I think like, it's not about saying like, oh, I shouldn't have gotten that. What it's about is looking back and saying black service members should have gotten the same thing. Mm -hmm. And to say, how much better off would I and my children be if more people in the country had had the opportunity to get a loan, to have a stable home, to go to college, to have stable jobs so that they weren't caught in the trauma cycle of poverty and mass incarceration. And all of those things could have been possible had we just decided that to make something good, we didn't need to make it exclusive, right? Like Mm. we could have just Mm. said, if this is good for some of us, it's good for all of us. And not only would that have changed the lives of people of color, but it would have made life better for white people. And that's- the church say amen. The kingdom of God is better for everyone. All right. Preach, preacher. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I haven't asked you what you're going to preach, but I think you're telling me we're out of time. So we have to Yes, quit. I got to go pick up my child. Um, you know what? I think I may take a Sunday off to do some self-care. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening. Go listen to Yolanda's sermon, which my friend Sarah posted on her page, this Pandemic Prod series. This Pandemic Emotion series is really, really good. So oh, to write at Presbyterian Church, D-R-I-T-A, um, pres.org. Um, go to the Podbean website and you can listen to all of Yolanda's back um, sermons and you can go to their YouTube channel and listen to the sermons on depression and anger and fear. Grief, grief and fatigue. Fatigue. So those are great. And if you want to find out more about The Grove, (laughs) you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org. You can check out our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Still got to get that in. Uh, And you can worship with us on Facebook live stream at 10 o'clock. It's fun. And thanks. We'll talk to you next week.